What is the most interesting backstory you've seen? Ooh, most interesting backstory? Hmm. I think for me, I really like Will's backstory when he was playing in our in one of my campaigns most recently. Uh-huh. He was playing a wizard and he had his book of spells. But the thing is, also with his book, is he kept a, a diary of everything that happened because for some reason he could not remember anything that happened prior to the day before. So every morning he would have oh, to read his book to learn who he was. Pure amnesia, not in the form of like mm-hmm. character backstory, yeah. but just like literal mm-hmm. everyday amnesia. So, <laughs> yeah. So it was it was kind of like memento, if you think yeah, about yeah. that. Yeah. He I think he thought he was a dragon. So at one point he would he was changed into a little gnome wizard. And every day he would just have to constantly try to read what he wrote to remember what happened the day before and who to trust. Oh. Yeah, the idea was that anybody could rewrite his memories by just changing his book, which is handcuffed to him at all times. And um, so oh. I left it open for the GM because in the book it says, I am a dragon that was polymorphed into a, a gnome or whatever he was. Mm-hmm. Um, but that might have been false. Someone could have just written that. Oh, so you don't even know your true anything. <laughs> yeah, and so as far as the story goes, um, I, I left that open so that David could just, you know, pull out the strings he needed to for the narrative. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good. Oh, I love that. I think for me, my favorite backstory that I've had a player play is um, this uh, This player, my first game, his name was uh, Dylan. He played a uh, basically a retired rock star named Ivor Reed. <laughs> So he played a bard uh, that was just like a run-of-the-mill retired rock star. Like he's, you know, obviously has been involved in a lot of drugs, a lot of alcohol. And it was just incredible to see someone who's like obviously washed up. And like, you know, it would be Mm -hmm. great to have me with NBCs running up to him and be like, Oh, wait, I remember you. You're that old rock star, aren't you? (laughs) <laughs> just have him be like that's Wait, awesome. you're Ivor Reed from that old bard band <laughs> and so it was really great and so he was playing as this character and he essentially said like I don't know if I like this bard character you know like maybe I want to be more of a kind of a protagonist I don't know if I want to be this support character that's kind of this older kind of uncle mm-hmm. figure to all the other characters and so I was like, sure, like, if you want your character to die, if you want to make a new character, whatever, you know, being the good DM I am. And so I, I said, yeah, whatever you want to do with this character, you can. And so uh, there was an instance where they were basically cornered by a bunch of hobgoblins. And he approaches and goes like, I want to try to charm them with my guitar. Oh, my And I gosh. go, okay, like, listen up. If you fail this role, like, you're going to be slaughtered like this is going to be a bloodbath like that this will end badly and he goes i know and so he goes up and (laughs) i go all right and he rolls a nat 20 and he rolls that 20 and and it's just like all of the hobgoblins i said just go into crisscross applesauce and just start to listen to this beautiful music (laughs) the bard is presenting (laughs) And then the whole party escapes, and it's like this this wonderful, perfect scene. And uh, the player ended up saying, like, like he's like, you know, that was the moment I fell in love with my character. 
ending is like, oh, like, all right, this silly backstory and this ridiculous nonsense, like that role is what made me go, okay, this makes sense. And I want to see how this plays out. Mm-hmm. And it was just so yeah. perfect. So I'd say that that retired rock star Ivor Reed as the bard was probably the best uh, backstory I've seen. Mine is actually at your bachelor party, Jake. Oh, yes. Um, yeah. I flew to Kentucky and after just a whole day of travel, <laughs> excitedly sat down and we played Dungeon Crawl Classics, which if you don't know, is just a, a sort of an old school, new school type of game. Everybody played as three level zero mm-hmm. characters mm-hmm. and your friend Chris, who I guess now is also my friend, um, <laughs> one of his characters was this disgusting <laughs> beggar named Beetle. And... Um, like the character him the character itself wasn't particularly memorable outside of the the physical portrayal that Chris gave to the guy. So imagine a person rhythmically swaying to the left and the right as they speak and he has this high pitched strange voice and he would do these strange hand movements um almost like a marionette like as if he was being puppeted from elsewhere. It, he just brought this character to life in a way that most D&D characters aren't. And this is a level 0 yeah, oh yeah, not level 1 character. Level 0. Level zero. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought if he could put this kind of commitment into a, a nobody garbage character, like I would love to play a full campaign with him. But anyway, oh, man, that yeah. was Beetle played by. <laughs> and I think he died in that. Oh, he definitely too. died. I remember. It was, just, it was sad because of, you see the direct amount of effort he put into, and then it's the Dungeon Crawl Classics just slaughterhouse and it's like (laughs) (laughs) i think he um he carried as much treasure as he could and died like that guy in the mummy who is trapped in the tomb with all the treasure absolutely (laughs) welcome to vox arcana i'm william i'm jake I'm David. This is a Dungeons and Dragons podcast, episode 9, Backgrounds. Tonight we're talking about character backgrounds. Yes. David, what are character backgrounds? Character backgrounds <laughs> are the background of your character. As you can see, David is a college-level writer because his <laughs> padding experience is unparalleled. Off the charts. <laughs> Anyways, getting into what backgrounds actually are. They're the experiences that your character had before the current session. So what did they do? Where were they born? Where were they raised? Mm-hmm. Things like that. What shaped their life into the person they are now? And why are they in this adventure? What's the purpose of backgrounds? See, I think backgrounds are vitally important because they give you context for each character. And they aren't just in this weird vacuum. Especially if you let the players know the backgrounds of the world, you can allow them to have backgrounds that shape your world together, and it can be more collaborative. Um, I think yes. backgrounds are vital, and honestly, a big red flag for me is if I go, hey, what do you want your background to be? Or like, what what is your backstory as a character? And they go, eh, I don't know. 
I go, oh, no. I'm oh, worried, no. right? Because it's like I want a yeah. narrative-filled campaign. I want an interesting <laughs> – Wait, did the player say that he's worried? <laughs> <laughs> it's like that's the only trait he gives you is he's just constantly worried. I, listen up. Worried. Listen up. I'm always worried. No. <laughs> No, like just just hearing a player that makes a character that doesn't have a backstory, I go, oh no, they're not invested in my world. They're not invested in their character, and they're it's going to be very hard to go from there. You know, I think that's a great point that you make, Jake. The background is what really ties you into the Mm -hmm. world to begin with, and if you don't have that background then you're not going to be invested in the game or in the story or in the people of the world it's almost um i I think it comes a bit from video games because a lot of players these days are coming from uh, oh yeah absolutely let's say you play in like world of warcraft for example you're responsible for your character's skin color facial features and a a garbage name that you just crap out and hairstyle and you enter the world oh don't forget the hair yeah um (laughs) anyway and you enter the world and then you are kind of experiencing the world it's being revealed to you as you go but in D&D it's that's put up front where you are interacting with the world before your character is made and so I think the backgrounds are a great tool to use that because most most people that I play with they're not used to this kind of creation they're Mm -hmm. like well I'm I'm just going to play and then I'll find out what happens like no 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 you are, are from this world you have friends and connections and relationships already when you start at level one or level zero as the case may oh, be. Oh, like mm-hmm. that, that is incredibly profound what you said of saying, oh, your character is involved in the world before the world was made. Like, like <laughs> that is just mind blowing <laughs> to realize that like your players that you introduce to your worlds, they have a big part in crafting said world based mm-hmm. on their backstory. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes we kind of just, yeah. um, you know, delegate the backstory to just this boring thing we have to go through at the final part of in D and D five E's building Brunor. You know, you you you're like, oh, I gotta do backstory now. You know, it it it's very, mm-hmm. it is the last thing you do, but I think it has vast, important meanings, and and it can have overarching mm-hmm. things that affect the story deeply, um, especially if you talk to the dungeon master and like collaborate with them like you can have plot points that really stand out throughout the campaign arguably for me the background is the most important part of your character because mm-hmm. it, it it tells you how you play it huh while the stats tell you the abilities that you can do your background informs the way in which you are going to make decisions within the game the way you're going to interact between the players Ooh. and other yeah. people. So I'm going to summarize that like this. Your stats tell you what your character can do and your background tells you what your character has done. Oh, huh. yeah, yeah, and yeah. And will probably do and in do. the future. And yeah. that's the confusing bit is like, you know, depending on what level you start at is like how much you go, how much has your character done in the past? But I guess in mm-hmm. general, what are some red flags of like if you hear someone say this before they make their character, do you go, oh dear? Anytime a character or anytime that a player says that they want to play uh, an actor or a character from a movie, <laughs> they're like, oh, I'm, I'm Jason Bourne <laughs> or I'm, I'm just playing as Bruce yeah. Wayne. Oh, no. I'm like, well, um, <laughs> and, some people, and, and you know, it's not like they're bad people mm-hmm. um, or even that they're very lazy. It's just like that's what excites them and that's what they're yeah. familiar with. Yeah. But I, I always say like, okay, um, what about 
Batman, what about Bruce Wayne, mm-hmm. excites you. Like, let's oh, take the parts good. of that personality yeah. and make that your own thing and without just carbon copying a character. What scares me even more was when they choose bad characters <laughs> from TV or movies. Like, like, I, like I want to play Jar Jar or I want to play the Joker. Okay, that like, scares those are the me. People who, Imagine just yeah. like, I, I, I want to play the Joker. Be like, excuse be me, uh, Daniel, <laughs> I need you to leave. <laughs> like, <laughs> I told you not to come back here. Oh, I have no. restraining order on you. You need to leave. <laughs> but like, yeah, I think you're right. It's like, why are you wearing that face makeup? <laughs> no, but I think you're right. If if a player comes up and says, I want to be James Bond or I want to be Captain America. Like, you're like, all right, buddy. Like, what do you like about that? And let's distinguish that and make a character like that but not having a background that has been already written by comic book writers or movie writers, you know? Um, uh, So oddly enough, I think that when a player does suggest that kind of character copying, um, you get some, some insight into what they're excited to play. Mm -hmm. So uh, we had one guy, um, he probably listens to the show actually. His name is uh, Eric and he always wants to do tricks and flips and climb up buildings and shoot stuff with arrows. And um, I think he, he made that character like Legolas or something. Like in, in everything except like that, name, yeah. he was Legolas. No, his name was Aang, I think. Oh, yeah, he was like an airbender. <laughs> anyway, and that was actually a pretty cool character. Yeah. Because I knew what he wanted to do. The problem is, is that 5e can be really restrictive at the mm-hmm. low levels with what you can actually oh, do. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, oh, I fired like three arrows into this guy. I'm like, okay, well... You know, one attack, but we'll just say if I arrows. And that, that makes me feel like a bad dad, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so let's get into each of the different backgrounds that 5th uh, Edition has given us. So we'll go through each one of them. Briefly. Yeah, yeah, just briefly. We'll go through each one of them uh, alphabetically. So let's start with the Acolyte. What do you guys think of the Acolyte background? So this is a person who is, uh, works for a temple. Um, I feel like Acolyte tends to have kind of a negative, like, culty kind of connotation. Huh. Yeah. The way 5e explains it is more of just a, a priest, a, a servant of a church. A I've definitely found it to be one of the less common ones that I've had in my games. Mm-hmm. I find it, it it has a lot of cool in- gameplay implications where you are dealing with um, the gods. You're going to mm-hmm. be dealing with temples, which are um, nice, like, religious ties into your game where you can go around and that, that gives players a way to interact with the people in the town that mm. they might not know because they have the connection to a mutual god uh-huh. or things like that. I'm at kind of the opposite. Like, I a lot of my spellcasters have ended up being acolytes in my games. Like, this is a pretty common background from what I've seen. Um, so, I, I don't know, because they get the proficiencies religion and insight, which are both pretty common in my games. Um, being more social games and yeah Mm. i I don't know i've seen this quite frequently and i feel like it's been i feel like 5e like you said it's kind of a culty feel to it but 5e has done a Mm -hmm. good job of being like no 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 this is this is a background that comes from kind of just a church or just religious order thing right Mm -hmm. and then i want to briefly mention um each of these features because each background comes with a feature um you get the shelter of the faithful which means that uh if you find uh, oh if you're at a temple shrine or established presence of your faith you get free healing and care which is cool because you're like Mm -hmm. oh well i follow that makes uh, sense yeah yeah yeah. stay there let's go stay at the temple they'll take care of us yeah uh 
Yeah, okay, let's move on to the anthropologist. Oh. If you're following along at home, we're actually using the D&D Beyond. Um, it's the free access to um, all of their um, backgrounds. And so this is everything that has been officially released for mm-hmm. 5e. So there's a bunch of these that aren't in the normal yeah. player's handbook. I encourage you to follow along at home. <laughs> or don't. <laughs> I think the anthropologist is great. I don't know if it's because I'm currently playing in a Tomb of Annihilation campaign, but like... Just the concept of, like, someone who's really interested in, like, ancient ruins, it, it, it kind of fits mm-hmm. into a D&D setting really well. Because there are, I mean, there is an abundance of ancient ruins all over. And having someone who is, like, mm-hmm. directly interested in, like, the exploration nature of it really helps in, like, getting players out of cities and into more crazy environments, you know? No, yeah, I totally agree. It's going to give the players more reason to be interested in the world that you've created because their character is naturally inclined to want to discover and learn more about what has happened in the past of your world and maybe why these ruins exist and more reason to explore them. Hmm. So I don't actually have, I haven't purchased the... uh... Tomb of Annihilation pack on D&D Beyond, so I can't see what feature they have, but it's called Adept Linguist. So I feel like my educated guess is that they can speak or understand more languages than normal. Yeah. So the next one is Archaeologist, which the more I think about what I said was the exact same thing for Anthropologist, because it's like, (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah, they want to explore ancient ruins and be very active in like getting out of their comfort zone or getting out of the Mm -hmm. party's comfort zone to go you know, search ancient ruins. And so, yeah, I feel mm-hmm. like these are very, very similar. Um, they are. Yeah, yeah. One is more about like studying people and one's studying old cultures. Yeah. So um, yeah. I think they are, they do kind of cross over in some ways, um, but I think both of these are super cool. I'm, I'm, I might just purchase the uh, Tomb of Annihilation pack next time there's a big sale uh, so I can get these backgrounds. I, I'm not paid off, by the way. <laughs> I'm just saying, just saying. Sponsored by D&D if Beyond. If you, uh, uh, D&D Beyond, if you were listening and you would like to do a sponsorship, um, contact me at VoxerKinaPodcast. Just, just send us a few thousand dollars and we'll think about it. <laughs> that would be all of their profits, though. I would, oh no. <laughs> I'll take like five dollars. Okay, so the next one is the charlatan. Personally, I love this one. What do you guys think? So a charlatan is anybody who's essentially a... Um, uh, uh, faker, right? Like a, what's a the right snake word? oil con salesman. Yeah, snake oil salesman. Yeah. They, they're con man. They're, oh, this is a great background because it goes really well with people who play bards, people who play things like warlocks, very high charisma characters, people who like to swindle their way out of situations yeah. and the, the hijinks and the trouble that they get themselves into often makes the game much more enjoyable and hilarious for all the other players at the table. Oh, I'm reading through their feature, and it says they have the false identity. It says they have a second identity that includes documentation, established acquaintances, and disguises that allow you to assume that persona. And I'm thinking, so good. we should have a entire campaign where everyone's background is a charlatan, <laughs> and you're running like three different guilds, but none of you are really who you say. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, Oh, I'm, so this is one of the things that excites me about 5e is that if you just read closely what they've presented and you realize like I'm personally not using most of what they provide mm-hmm. but when I read it I want to yeah, yeah. I want to 
I'm just imagining a, a whole group of charlatans and people keep thinking that members of the group are getting swapped out and there's just someone changing their identity. I think oh. that would be hilarious and so much fun. That's so cool. So um, the next three, I'm going to kind of kind of combine because um, they're from the Sword Coast Adventures Guide, which I have... Which no one has bought. <laughs> I've read some of it um, no in one. a bookstore and it's pretty interesting, but like... <laughs> It's, 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 I saw a review of it <laughs> online once. But at the same time, like these are these are very interesting. So there is the City Watch, the Clan Craftsman, and the Cloistered Scholar. Have you guys heard or used any of these types of backgrounds before? Never. I don't even know what the word cloistered <laughs> means. <laughs> I think it's a type of shellfish that you eat by cracking open. Oh, uh, <laughs> There you go. Yeah, I, I love the oystered uh, scholars. <laughs> mm. Delicious. I think so. I don't know if we have much to say. I mean, this. I think I've used the background of a city watch, uh, like a city guard, before. Like unofficial. Yeah, like I've combined other backgrounds mm-hmm. to use kind of the Sword Coast Adventure Guide version. But like, yeah, I like the idea of a city guard turned adventurer. You know. Maybe they mm-hmm. took an arrow to the knee, and now oh. they're, like, you know, involved in adventuring. Like, I like the idea of that. <laughs> Isn't that the exact opposite <laughs> of what happened? Maybe it was a magical arrow that healed his knee. <laughs> oh. I, I, okay, to be fair, listeners, I did realize that what I said was the exact opposite <laughs> of what happens, <laughs> actually. Um, but, like, I, I like the idea... Of that opposite of like a city guard becoming an adventurer as opposed to a retired mm-hmm. adventurer becoming a city guardsman. <laughs> like, I, yeah. I really, I think, William, uh, I think you had a, okay, this is really interesting, Will. You had a game that I played in, which was all girls and me. And all of the girls <laughs> yes. had very profound, interesting characters. Uh, where one was kind of a Mulan type fighter, another one was a very interesting bard that did um, the cloth weaving to do their magic. Yeah, and they were a seamstress. Yeah, weave yeah. very fast. Like like an interesting seamstress. And there was one other one. And then then I was the most basic, boring. Like my character was just a city guardsman with a family. And so it was incredibly interesting to see all of these girls playing these characters that had all these profound different backstories and me to be just this very basic city guard that had a wife and child Mm -hmm. that he was trying to get money for. And I recall that that wife and child were the central peril for the entire because at one point you were like you had to hold your baby like behind your shield while you were fighting yes no no no. my wife approached me and said hold this which was my child and handed me my child and my wife left and i just was holding my child in combat (laughs) yeah so i don't know i think the idea of a city guard is is really interesting for a backstory and i think it it can be I, i think it can work yeah, it definitely does. I mean, it's good enough to be official. Criminal Spy is next on the list. Uh, criminal, or Spy, is next on the list. And uh, I think this is the grown-up version of a... Um, what's the one down here? The little street rat urchin Oh, yeah, guy. yeah. The gr- urchin, yeah. Yeah, I think this is a more interesting... Um, maybe a continuation of, of that background. Uh, mm-hmm. It says you're an experienced criminal with a history breaking the law. Um, it's 
tailor-made to be a thief, but yeah. I would love to play a paladin with this background. Oh, that's oh, good. That would be so mm-hmm. awesome to I think have. That... I'm thinking like a paladin who's a spy, who's like oh. trying to infiltrate other uh, religious factions and just like oh, oust like, them. Like a secret inquisitor, kind yeah. of. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. So, so in, like basically the bottom line is making like picking a class and then picking a very interesting background can like change the complete idea of the class like like oh, yeah. backgrounds have yeah. much more power than people think um because yeah if you think of a cleric who's also a criminal it's like whoa <laughs> like that is that is a yeah. big deal like that is a huge you know shift in what you what you would normally assume a cleric would be Yes. Mm-hmm. I think playing against type is a great way to open up your imagination. Yes. Um, yeah. Because, like, you say a criminal spy, and you're thinking, oh, well, he's going to be a, a rogue. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I, and actually, we should, as we're going through here, just pick unconventional classes to go with these. That would be great. Oh, and then uh, your feature is you have a criminal contact, and that is um, you just have a network of people you can reach out to, um, mm-hmm. and they will uh, transfer messages and, um, yeah. So one of the things I would like to note with this is, it does say criminal spy, and I feel like no one that I play with has used the spy aspect no. of this. And I would love to see someone being it have have to constantly check in with people oh. in order to give information because they are a spy and they're doing secret operations while they're with the adventuring party. So they're oh. constantly having to check in with their handler or yeah. whatever you want to call I, it. I think that's I think that would tricky. Be really cool. I think it really is tricky because it's like, oh, yeah. do you want, I mean, this goes into the whole idea of alignment and like, do you want a character in your party that is like actively against your party's goals? And so it, it really makes sense if you're in kind of this lawful organization and your party's mostly good and you're mm-hmm. just sending information about like okay this is what's happening this is you know but it's really hard if you're like in a lawful evil organization and most of your party is like chaotic good it's like okay you're the antagonist <laughs> now so the, the whole spy aspect of backgrounds is very risky because it's like it creates this whole new aspect of antagonism with the party you know depending on their alignment or maybe you were a spy who got uh, a burn notice. Oh, that's oh. yeah, yeah. That could, yeah, that could be great. Yeah, and so that would be cool. and that's why he's with the party is he's like Just trying get to out. scrape yeah. his way back into the good yeah. graces of the organization. Oh, so yeah. Fun. I generally like these characters because they're more charismatic. I feel like the backgrounds that are more charismatic, <laughs> I generally like more. Obviously, because I like more social games with more social encounters. And so the characters mm-hmm. who are more charismatic and like have, you know, layer upon layer of lies that are trying to uphold gives me so much stuff as a DM to like manipulate and change and be yeah. like, That's wait true. a second, you don't look like that man I heard earlier. You know, just like <laughs> abilities to wreck their whole plan socially is what, what I really like about the criminal and the spy and kind of the charlatan in general. Hmm. <clears throat> so next we have the entertainer. Hmm. So how would you describe this class? Bard. Uh, it says you throw. Oh, so for the background, it says you thrive in front of an audience. You know how to entrance, entertain, and even inspire. Them. I don't think I've ever played a bard that has not picked an entertainer background. I really don't think. They yeah, they really go together. Or criminal. What would be an unconventional class? Un- what about a barbarian? Oh. 
That's good. Like he's yeah, so yeah. good at killing, but like showing oh, off. Kind of a gladiator Ooh, he, class. He, yeah, like a or blood sport entertainer. You could have um, a wizard. Oh, weird. Oh, okay. So uh, Penny Arcade had a web series for a long time, mm-hmm. and Jim Dark Magic was a wizard entertainer <laughs> who was constantly hawking his show. Yeah, and so he would like give out business cards yes. once they had like defeated the evil in town he would you know promote himself like i'm imagining you could have like an illusionist wizard um it, it reminds me of uh, bilbo baggins or frodo like whenever at the beginning of the lord of the rings when oh the fireworks he's like putting on the show yeah yeah, yeah. oh yeah was doesn't gandalf or, or that was gandalf yeah, yeah. oh because yeah, yeah 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 I think absolutely uh, yeah. like i feel like um magic in dungeons and dragons has like a a weird connotation because we like we're like oh yeah we see fireworks shows all the time and you know whatever world we live in in 2018 but like magic in kind of a medieval setting is like incredibly beautiful and therefore entertaining and so like almost any magic (laughs) user could be an entertainer just because they could use their magic you know actually somebody with just fireworks and no magic at all would be thought of as a magician yeah you know, like like even think about it as like you're you're out of money you know you're tired you're exhausted but you have one quote unquote spell slot left like why don't you go to the bar and do this miraculous beautiful illusion and then get some money and then get a drink and go to bed you know that's kind of um, in line with their feature. It's called By Popular Demand. It says you can always find a place to perform, um, and you can trade performance for room and board. Oh. And after you perform, you become something of a local oh, celebrity. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So it's built into the class. Looks like uh, the designers were one step ahead of Jake. <sighs> always. <laughs> <laughs> always. Um, so I want to make sure that we mention the faction agent and the far traveler from Sword Coast's huh. guide. Um, I think the faction agent goes along with the, uh, I think there's six or seven factions like the Harpers. and mm-hmm. um, But that's more for the organized play of D&D, which I don't do. Uh, and then the far traveler, as far as I can tell, is just sort of a remixed version of, uh, what's he called? The Outlander. Yeah, the yeah, yeah, I guess it makes sense. I, I think... Except he's more from beyond the... Like, different planes of i think yeah. what i like the faction agent i think plays a bigger role in my games because i the, the harpers and the order of the gauntlet are like pretty big factions in my world mm-hmm. and so saying like yeah i'm just a bookie for one of them or i'm just a uh you know i'm a, I'm a secret keeper for the harpers all that works fantastically well um for my games but i don't know if it I don't know. It, it, you have to kind of know my world before you do that. And that's the whole balance with backgrounds yeah. is like the GM communicating their world before you make your background and knowing what yeah. works with the world before you start. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Moving on, we have the folk yes. hero from the basic rules. Dude, I love uh, the folk hero. And I'm always happy whenever someone picks <laughs> it. I think it works well because a lot of people, especially if you start at like level one, they're like, I am, I've done all this cool stuff. You know, I've slayed this owlbear and I'm the the champion of this small village. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it doesn't really work if you're like a guild artisan or if you're just like an urchin. Yeah. But like if you say, I'm a folk hero <laughs> of this town, it's like, even though you're level one, this, okay, that makes sense. You know? Like you put out the great fire of the town. <laughs> yeah. That's true. You, it you don't things. have to do something 
terribly large to become a folk hero. You, yeah, maybe you uh, lied your way oh, to the top. Oh, that's or good. Maybe you're like you a are. washed up adventurer. <laughs> you just did something minor like shot. 20 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then now you've decided to like go back out and try to. That's so great. Because people like. Like imagine yeah. someone who like in our world just did something like very, very minor. Let's say someone was trying to, you know, they were suicidal and they were trying to jump in front of a subway. And this guy jumps in front of this guy and, like, just stops him from jumping. But he's still kind of riding that fame, like, 30 years later. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like, okay, I I guess he's a folk hero. (laughs) You know? Like, it's something that's so minor. But, like, I don't know. I feel like this can go in so many different directions that, yeah, like you said, David, I love when people pick this. Because it can be really interesting, like, playing with fame, especially in small areas. Yeah. Um, it looks like their feature is uh, you fit in with common folk with ease and you can always find a place to hide or rest. I think a lot of these are just about having a, mm-hmm. a shelter in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. like tying you into the like giving you a connection into the town so that you can yeah. find a place to stay and interact. With I think a lot of I mean, this goes into the philosophy of um, backgrounds of just like a lot of it is justification to the DM. And the dungeon master would be like, oh, you don't know anyone in town. And then someone's like, wait here. I'm a folk hero. And then the, d- <laughs> the dungeon master's like, uh, all right. <laughs> you find a place, you know, because it it gives you a little bit more leverage to be able to, to justify something you otherwise wouldn't. I feel like the folk well, hero yeah. is often picked by people who are min-maxers or munchkins or power gamers who are just really? like, I want to make the best character. I mean, obviously, they pick the folk hero just to give them the most social leverage and the most uh, power in their background, you know? Yeah. I, hmm, that's interesting because as someone who people identify as a power gamer. <laughs> Look at him dodging I have the not... own. <laughs> as someone who I was lies. about to own it and then I'm like... <laughs> As someone who other people claim to be a power game. Just admit it. <laughs> I haven't played a full really? game, so. Really? Huh. Interesting. No. So the next one is the Gladiator. Um, I don't think I've had anyone in my games pick this one, um, but it just has so much built-in flavor. Have you guys ever had someone be a Gladiator background? No. That sounds great. Yeah. Though. Yeah, the Gladiator is just someone who fights for fun (laughs) or for profit or for profit and i think that those are the people who are going to cause a lot of conflict in your games in a good way because they're going to want to fight people all the time yeah i i think for me like one one of the classes i dislike the most is the barbarian because I like more social games and barbarians tend to mm-hmm. muck up social games. Uh, but the gladiator adds a weird twist to that of like um, combat as sport, not as a philosophy, but like yeah. as a viewing entertainment world building thing of like combat yeah. being fun to watch. And so having mm-hmm. a player that does these ridiculous moves and knows how to work a crowd while they're fighting, it's a really interesting concept that I, I want to see more of mm-hmm. that I haven't. It really suggests something about the world. If there is a place where fighting uh, blood sport is done. Um, yeah. yeah. If you have a, a player coming from like an ancient Rome type of area um, and then you meet this country bumpkin folk hero who killed a bear <laughs> one time. 
um, this is a, a huge uh, a difference, a huge disconnect and change in their own personal world. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So the next one is the Guild no one Artisan. Uh, have you or the Guild Merchants? Have you guys used this one? I have. I, th- I think I played as one once. I have never used oh, one, but and I have it, never had one in my it's game. It's hard to get excited for. Let's just say <laughs> like, that. Oh man, I'm so good at making tots. <laughs> yeah. Maybe if you want to get the whole power of your union behind you, but yeah. I don't get excited for like union politics in my D and D. That's not why I play. Huh? D&D. I feel like it depends yeah. on what you do but i feel like a guild artisan can be very 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 good for a bard um if you want to include that and it's a much more urban setting but at the same time if it's more of a rural setting or if it's more of just a, a wide wide campaign i don't know how you would ever pick a guild artisan over an entertainer i Seeing this makes me think that there's some backgrounds that would be better suited for different types oh, of yeah. campaigns. So yeah. um, there's a rumor right now that the next published uh, Wizards of the Coast adventure is going to be a uh, city yes, finally adventure, yes. like a water yeah. deep thing. We don't know what city it's going to be. It's probably going to be all of the Sword Coast cities. Anyway, um, but if you had a this densely packed faction-based um, story, mm-hmm. then a guild artisan would oh, be very valuable because you have connections. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And in fact, everybody's backgrounds, like whether it's the spy or the city guard or the guild guy, um, you would have so many connections into the story and they don't go anywhere. Because right now, if you pick a guild artisan and then the first thing you do is you travel halfway across the world to go <laughs> It's like, oh, I have no support. Well, what, what's yeah, the point yeah, of that, really? That, yeah. It, yeah, the background doesn't really come into use or come into play, yeah. which is kind of tragic and sucks. Yeah, so the campaign is going to determine the effectiveness for sure. Mm-hmm. So we have the hermit next. Okay. Uh, it's the yes. worst. A man after uh, my own heart. I hate this one. <laughs> I mean, I'm just going to be. Honest. I think we all agree. The hermit is. <sighs> okay. So the hermit can be played good, but yes. it's yes. hard but it rarely to be played is. good. Yeah. It, like the hermit is naturally, if you have a murder hobo, they're like, ooh, I want to be a hermit. <laughs> I mm. think. I think from now on, and. Any game where I have a relatively new player, I'm just going to say you can't play the Hermit. Because I think it takes an experienced player to make the Hermit a good background. Yeah. Anytime you can have a background that just officially says, oh, you have no connection to the world at all. You don't know anyone. <laughs> true, you don't know yeah. anything. It's like I've been isolated for the past hundred years <laughs> just living in the forest. I know zero people. My background is that I have no yeah. background. So like essentially backgrounds from a philosophical perspective, like in game design and like for Dungeons and Dragons, they want to give the dungeon master hooks to like be like, oh, you can pull in this <laughs> guild artisan, uh, you know, guild, or you can pull in this family backstory, you or have, you can pull in you have this criminal yeah, boss. All, all of those yeah. things are like yeah. contribute. The hermit is like an anti-hook. <laughs> it is like an anti-contribution. It's like, hey, dungeon master, you got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Try yeah. hooking me into the story. All right. <laughs> So um, I would challenge us to make a great character with a hermit hermit background. Okay, right now, let's do I'm it. Sure okay, so hermit. I have a hermit background character in one of my games right now. And um, what is it? What is the so hermit the, say? this hermit in my game is a tiefling fighter 
who is a basically sellsword, you know, merchant's uh, soldier of fortune that is just trying to make money and whatever. And so he um, has these random events, basically I use whenever he rolls a nat one, he will teleport into hell, essentially. And he'll be freaked out and he'll see horrible demons and all this stuff. And then he will go back to the, the the normal plane of existence and he'll have to deal with that and all his party members would be like where were you and he'd be like oh nothing mm-hmm. you know whatever and so his character works really well because of his like weird teleportation isolation and it fits with him being isolated because he has not been like metaphorically isolated but he's been literally physically isolated via this yeah. teleportation thing and so his character kind of butts heads with everyone else because he is somewhat of a hermit. But it does work because the logic all works. But it, mm-hmm. I don't know. It, it's I've yet to finish the campaign to see how his arc ends up. But in general, this is very, very hard to pull off thematically. I actually have a hermit background that I think would be interesting to play. Uh-huh. So let's say you have a character he existed about like a hundred years prior to when the campaign uh-huh. took place. And then for some reason, he was just banished to another realm. Oh. And now he has recently gotten freed and he is now back in society and he's trying to gain vengeance against all of the people who have like banished him before. So they're all super old and he's just going through oh, and dealing yeah. with all these older It's like Kill people. Bill. Yeah, it's like Kill Bill. Oh. I, I think that could oh, work, okay. but and that would take a very special player to to basically role play in your worlds and to be able to say, oh, your world was different a hundred years ago. Like we can look at our current history and be like, oh yeah, Captain America would would react differently when he woke up in 2015 or whatever. But like mm-hmm. for a character to be like, oh yeah, a hundred years ago it was different because of what? They would have to collaborate with you a lot. Yeah, I think it'd be fun because all you gotta do is make comments like, "Oh, well, this city used to be a little settlement a hundred years ago." Mm-hmm. Oh, um, that's I would good. add yeah. to that, David, and say that um, the party he teams up with, somebody in that party is his relative. Yeah, oh, that's, great yeah, that's good because oh. it gives him a yeah. link in. And then he's like, you know, they're explaining things to him, yeah, like how the world has changed. And then you you get those jokes like, "Well, back in my day. yeah, that yeah. that could work really good." I think. Yeah, I think the hermit takes a special, you know. I think as a DM, you know when a character is being like, I want to be a hermit. You go, all right, John, do you want – are you a murder hobo? Why don't you just go play Skyrim (laughs) by yourself? (laughs) But if they're like, oh, no, I want to be a hermit because that would really be interesting with my dynamic and uh, relationship with all my other compatriots, you're like, all right, that's pretty good. (laughs) But in general, the hermit is – it takes a special player, I think, to have a good background with the hermit. Hmm. Jake – Talk to me about the knight. So, okay. The knight, um, I think the knight as a background can work very well as like a paladin or a fighter. Um, but the knight has to kind of be in contrast with the rest of the characters unless you're doing a very stoic, high fantasy, medieval, like King Arthur setting. Like yeah. normally mm-hmm. the knight works well when all the other characters are mercenaries and you know just normal D&D characters and the knight is like a stoic heroic you know contrarian to the rest of the party. Mhm. Allow me to speak for the audience here. Ugh. 
I, I think the knight can work, but you're right. I, it, it does take. I would a love to see. Character. I would love to see the knight with like a weird class combination. <laughs> so you're like a knight wizard. I'm trying to think. What would be the weirdest oh. class for a knight background? <laughs> like, what would it be? A knight thief. <sighs> what the heck? Oh, so maybe it's an order of knights who oh. like their tenants require them to to steal. Maybe steal like from a the rogue. Rich, the poor. <laughs> so they're just it's like a Robin like Hood. Robin Hood. <laughs> yeah. But then, oh my gosh, yeah, that'd be weird. That is so strange. Oh. Like a warlock knight. <laughs> Oh, it's a coven of knights. Yeah. We call it the nighttime knights. Nighty knights. Nighty knights. Nighty That works for the assassins as well. Oh, man. All right, so. That's also their catchphrase. Nighty knight. So the next okay. is the noble. Have you guys had any nobles in your games, background-wise? I think I ran one, actually. Like In, like, the four times I've ever played as a player, um, I think I played as one. I've seen the noble played great, and it's awesome to see new players play the noble uh-huh. i remember we had one of our mutual friends his name was sean and when he started out he played as a noble and he approached the game very diplomatically very That's right. just trying to deal with people in a very noble manner he tried to use his nobility and leverage it in into getting him better deals and true. things like that he like it's a great starting background for people who are kind of new to the game from what i've seen and it just it, it gives you great ties into the world wow i did would not think that at all so it's definitely one of my favorites okay yeah um now that you're t- remembering sean um he had a writ or something that like proved that he, he was a, in a, a noble house ring. yeah signet ring that's what it was and he just flashed it at every opportunity even though he was like on this desert island with a bunch <laughs> of crazy people um and it was like Dave was saying, he always chose diplomacy first because that's what a noble would try oh, instead of just pulling out a sword. That's and I thought it was great because he had this guy had never even played D anD D before. Yeah, that was the most impressive part. Wow, that is really good because I, I don't think I played with a noble before. I, like I played with a noble, but they basically played just like a soldier background and just like yeah. kind of pulled out the nobility for you know, later stuff in, like, plot development. But, like, yeah, to play as a distinctly privileged noble the whole time, like, that takes a lot of skill. Next up is the Outlander, the person who grew up far from civilization and is now in an, an adventuring party. <sighs> Yuck. Okay. I This is the hermit just renamed. I mean, if you're not playing a <laughs> ranger, I don't know why you're an Outlander. Okay, let's. What's the class challenge here? Wizard. <laughs> he lives on a I'm farm and he just uses magic. How, how would a paladin be an outlander? I mean, you could do oh, you could do order of the um, isolation or the oath it's of the, the what's order. the ancients? Oath of the ancients, where it's kind of like druidic. Mm, yeah, it's the druid paladin. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I think. I mean, that's I mean, cool. this this really speaks testament to five e and how the developers were like, all of these backgrounds can work. Like, there's none that you just laugh at. You know, I mean, there's yeah, there's a place for all. There are several that you could laugh at, but like in the end, they could work for any class, which is crazy. So okay, so Outlander, have you guys played with any good Outlanders or? Um, it seems like a few Rangers have been Outlanders. The so their feature is that they um essentially they get bonuses to exploring, and they always find food. They always can find food and water. However, this this sucks. 
Because if you are playing <laughs> 5e the way everyone plays it, you don't track food and water. And yeah. if you are tracking food and water, suddenly that doesn't matter at all because someone is an outlander. Yeah. So Weird. it's it really, yeah, it, it solves problems annoyingly. <laughs> yeah, I think it brings up the whole concept of, I don't know where I saw this, but like it it solves a problem that should be solved creatively, but it just kind of like snaps your fingers and you're it's solved. Yeah. It's magically solved. Yeah. yeah, I think if we were doing a big survival thing, I would change it a little bit, but you know, there's really no need to. Or I might get rid of it. <laughs> David know. would just kick it out completely. But I I think there's some cool things. Yeah, because I mean, okay, for both of you guys, have you ever looked at your players when they're making characters and be like, all right, listen up. None of this. You can't be this. <laughs> you can't be that. Just to forget about this background. Like, really? Have you done that? <laughs> No, never. Yeah, no, I haven't I either. Haven't <laughs> done I, I'm like, I'm pretty lenient. It's and... funny because like we complain about these, and we're yeah. like, oh, I don't ever allow this. But then like when when I'm playing with people, and they're like, oh, can I try out like this hermit? I'm like, yeah, sure. What kind of hermit do you want to be? And they're like, um, how about like a monk who lives out in the woods? I'm like, sure, super cool. Let's go. Can I be named James Bond? Like, no. <laughs> That's where we draw the line. Is the name? So yeah, I think um. I think really that, that that's a good point. Like you shouldn't ever be kind of detrimental in like it's very avoidance of things. But I think there's a subtle way to be like, are you sure you want to be a knight? Like, uh, you know, like, there's a subtle way to address backgrounds that aren't um, <laughs> overt. Like, I don't allow outlanders in my games. <laughs> <laughs> Next Safe. next up, we have the pirate. Oh, yeah. Have you guys ever had it a good pirate? exactly what it sounds like. <laughs> the, have, no. Is this, so this, it says, is from the player's uh-huh. handbook, but I don't think it is. No, it is. It's, it's a subclass um, of the sailor. It's a or subclass sub, of the sailor. Sub background, I guess. Um, yes. Yeah, I've had a good pirate character before. I, I think the pirate is interesting because it, it really is just a reflavored sailor. But it is, I don't know, I feel like it's pretty interesting, especially because you think of the classes, like the, the, the rogue Xanathar's Guide swashbuckler class. Like, I mean, come on. Yeah. It just goes together like peanut butter and jelly. Like, <laughs> I'm a pirate swashbuckler. It's like, yeah, obviously. I would love to have a sorcerer pirate and all your spells <gasps> are kind of nautical themed. <laughs> so your magic ah, missile fires cool. parrots. No, it's it's just like a cannon that pops up and shoots out a <laughs> oh, magic missile. Oh, it's so fun. It's so fun. <laughs> oh, I need to play a pirate. Yeah, we should have a nautical. Yarmy I'm developing. See, the pirate, um, the pirate makes me think of because in my games, the all turtles, their language just sounds <laughs> like, pirates. like pirates. Yeah, and so when I think of like a pirate, it's like I can't imagine a pirate that's not a turtle. You know, it just sticks his head out of his shoulder. How are you doing there, mateys? <laughs> I think that might be racist. I um, <laughs> I would reckon if they're not called species, if they're called races, then it is exactly racist. <laughs> um, I want to run a island hopping kind of exploration oh, yeah. campaign oh, yeah. based loosely on Assassin's Creed Black Flag. Um, I don't know how to make it really fun, but anyway, I think pirates would play a big part. Oh, in that. yeah, absolutely. Because, like, the whole idea of morality in pirates is really interesting. And especially, I, I like the idea of a pirate as a background in the form of, like, a reformed pirate. Like, and, like, someone who's <laughs> oh, like, yeah. I used to be a pirate, but now I try to. Uh, See, obey the law you know like th- that's really interesting mm. 
Um, and yeah. so I think the pirate, it really is a complete sailor's sub background, but I think it can work good. I think if you're looking at all these backgrounds as just ways to hook characters into the yeah. world, um, and in the pirate's case, literally hook them into the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it's just fun to have this guy have a bunch of connections mm-hmm. with sailor types and, um, uh, Doc official, yeah. and all these people. Yeah. So, um, once again, I think that a city based campaign or, or even a city central campaign would be super fun. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the uh, the next one is Sage, the Sage background. Uh, what do you guys think about this? Hmm. So this guy is just a super nerd who yeah. just lives in a library. A library? Whoa. Whoa. Uh, yeah, he lives in a, in a library reading all I day. don't think I've used this, this one before. For... Have you guys? It seems like I have. I mean, it makes I think sense, I have. but I don't know if I have. My first character was probably a sage. Oh, I mean, yeah. David, yeah. You're like, what does this, what does this ass give me? <laughs> was that when David had Where's braces? magic in this scroll? What does it say? Yeah, I, I think oh, the no. sage... We're going to get a mean voicemail from a fan with that like list. Oh, no. We, we apologize. <laughs> yes. I don't mean any of So I think like you're right. Like this is the nerd character. And I think I think this character can really be interesting because especially like we said of challenging the status quo. If this isn't a wizard, like think of like a oh. nerdy oh, rogue who's just a, a high intellect or a sage rogue, you know, like. I think a monk would be a really would be yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. Because Rogue is already high intelligence, so I think yeah. a monk would be really... It makes sense that you would have this monastery somewhere, and mm-hmm. all you've done for 20 years is copy down some text. You've just, been, you've just been copying books. Like, that would be... Oh, that's so interesting. Maybe he has glasses. Yeah. I picture the Diablo 3 monk, but with just tiny little uh, <laughs> nose glasses. Yeah. Yes. Huh. I um I think the sage is good, but it fits a playstyle that it's a little different than what I is optimal for me, which is kind of like I want more social, I want more um crazy abilities. This one is just straight up intellect. And so if you're making a character that is smart, I mean really this is the one to go for. I think that there's a lot of connections to the world if you're smart though. Oh yeah. Because what you can do is you can have whole research groups where people are mm. talking to Co co researchers who are just trying to learn and gain information, so you have all sorts oh, of like yeah. webs of information. Do it like Doctor Strange, where you have portals to other monasteries, and they just talk to it's each other constant, all the time. Yeah, yeah that, that that's Ugh. really interesting. I just I don't know. It's hard to fit in without a character that's like very devoted, um, not necessarily to the character, but to their like to their world. Because hmm. I, a lot of backgrounds are that. It's like it is a hook into the world, not necessarily the character. I mean, it basically, it's a link yeah. from your character to it the goes world. Both yeah. ways. It's a twofold thing. Yeah. Um, as for like getting them to leave their monastery, you could do all kinds of things like burn it or, um, I don't know, just displace them in some way. Yeah. That could be a, a huge adventure hook just right there. So the, the next one is the sailor, um, which we talked about quite a bit in Pirate. Um, yeah, I think this one is really good in an urban setting because I think we Mm -hmm. living in like a modern society neglect how much a like harbor plays into a city's life, especially a city on the coast. Oh yeah. Um, Yeah. And I think like knowing the harbor master and knowing trade routes and knowing all this stuff is like really, 
really interesting as far as a character backstory goes. So like being a sailor and visiting faraway lands, like it's I think it's a great backstory. Yeah, it gives you a reason to uh, be used to seeing. Strange yeah, yeah, because like you and, see and a tiefling and, and you go, oh, you know, I've I've seen several tieflings because I've been to this island and this island. <laughs> My wife's a tiefling. <laughs> Yeah, because I'm a tiefling. <laughs> it gives you a a reason to see like exotic things and to not be surprised. Yeah, I I love the sailor yeah. background. It is fun. It's different, I think, than something like a, a city guard or a soldier because you don't have that necessarily violent background, yeah. but you still have that world traveler. Feeling. Yeah, which yeah, you're, you're just kind of like a lifeguard. Yeah, which. Yeah. <laughs> Because, yeah, I think that that really, when you look at your background, you have to be like, does this does this plant me in a certain place and a certain kind of almost alignment or a certain, like, kind of feel? And the other kind, you know, the far other side of the spectrum is like, does this make me just a world traveler that just really grants me almost anything I want, you know, as as far as exotic stuff you see? Or just having connections in every yeah, port. Yeah, that's a big like not deal. Not necessarily a wife in every port, but being able to like, like say, hey, there's um, Mordecai, the bartender, oh, I know him. in you know, yeah. wherever. That is a big deal. Yeah. Okay. Uh, speaking of the soldier, uh, here he is. Oh, okay. Soldier's good. I, I think soldier can be bad, but it can be great because it's yeah. very, I mean... We I know find it a little dry. Like it, it's functional and it's good, but it's a little dry. Mm-hmm. Kind of like a soldier's personality most of the time. Whoa. Wow! <laughs> wow. As my players have proven, I think with soldier, all of these backgrounds have these very, very interesting traits, bonds, ideals, and flaws, um, which are incredible. Which we will definitely explore on a future episode. But the soldiers' ones are just incredible because you can see kind of um what you're afraid of or what you fear or what what enemy destroyed your whole um platoon of officers or whatever you know mm-hmm. you, you it really digs yeah. deep into the world like you can't be a soldier background without knowing the world yeah and it's good too because i think that war is such a great uh, central tension to have in your oh, campaign, yeah. even if it's yeah. nowhere near where your campaign really is, mm-hmm. knowing that there is fighting happening somewhere, and then having uh, your soldier who's not fighting, that asks an interesting question as to why did they desert? Did they get injured? Did they just get fed up? Did they get discharged? Um, and then depending on the rank and their specialty within that service, um, it, it just sets up your character by answering those questions. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's a lot of cool things that you can do with I, I think it's it's pretty hard to to look at your dm and be like i'm a soldier and they'd be like okay who did you serve you can't dodge those questions you know like you have yeah. to be like okay I, I served in this militia or i was a part of this army or i fled this massacre whatever like you are automatically ingraining yourself into the world which is amazing there was you uh... know <clears throat> In my last campaign, one of my characters, whose name also happened to be Will, um, <laughs> he was a human cleric, but his background was a soldier, and he had been a healer with a dwarven military. And oh, so yeah. he was like, the dwarves were endeared to him mm-hmm. because of his service. And so he had all kinds of high connections up in that military. I thought that was really cool, because it's so different than, um, oh, well, I was in the human military doing human military things. <laughs> Being a human 
And not anything else. <laughs> urchin. So last up, we have the urchin. Huh. What is an urchin? Isn't that that little spiky Dude, I'm like, telling you, that's creature? what I think of. Yeah. I don't think of what that's it like actually the... is. I think of, like, the sea anemone spiky thing. <laughs> Wait a minute. A sea anemone and a sea urchin are very different, Jake. <laughs> Less enough. You would know this if you'd gone to homeschool. <laughs> are they natural enemies? <laughs> and enemies? And enemies? <laughs> well, so... now that that joke's been made... Um, that's like the one pun you can do with sea anemone. Okay. Okay. So urchins. Have you guys used them? Oh yeah, all the every really? day. Every really? Every day I'm urchining. I'm basically an urchin. <laughs> uh, I think the the just the street rat character is a common facet of it, this one can games, veer yeah. dangerously into the similar category as the uh, hermit. Yes. Um, we'll talk about the, uh, what I call it, the shadow orphan later, mm. <laughs> uh, where people can just take a background and be like, well, I have no connections to the world. I don't know anybody. I actually don't care about anyone specifically because I was a tortured soul who grew up in a gutter. <laughs> yeah. And now I want to kill everyone. Oh. That, that's a true story, guys. Like, I've played with two players who have just been like, no, I'm so, so my what, parents okay. are dead and I just What them. makes the urchin different than like a criminal that, that's my complication so i think of the urchin kind of like aladdin where he Who is, is a criminal just struggling to survive yeah he is but with the criminal there's more of an organization yeah you're more oh. of a professional like for hire whereas this is you're just struggling on the streets to survive just making your way around Maybe selling a few wares or swindling things, uh-huh. but yeah. you're not actually. You're, you might not be good at being a thief. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I think that's what. So, life so is. the mm-hmm. urchin implies some solidarity and some kind of like mm-hmm. um, yeah. streetwise ingenuity and like personal um, luck, as opposed to like a organizational criminal yeah. thing. Yeah, you're either uh, the the two things that I imagine uh, an urchin being is either like a hobo. Or they would be kind of like a young kid who is just yeah. on the streets. And maybe they have some sort of mentor figure that they're working under. But otherwise, they're they're just kind of like a, a younger, youthful person. And maybe you would build that into, um, like if you had two characters and one of them is already a criminal or, or really any background soldier. And they're mentoring this little urchin up out of the gutters and they bring them into the party to make some money to uh, have a real life. Yeah. Huh. Okay, I, I haven't seen many urchins, but I think this is redeeming it for me because it's like I get the difference between it and the criminal now, and it is—it's not a spiky <laughs> sea creature. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it, technically, it is. Is it though? <laughs> Wait, so which was named first? Like, which sad mm. poor people in the gutter, or one porky th- boy, <laughs> or one? Spiky I mean, Pokey we'll have to pour you. I, I think the only way to, to figure out is if people tweet us at Fox Arcana Pod. <laughs> Outside of 5e, there's a few other systems that I wanted to mention that get me really excited for character uh-huh. creation because they create super unique and very interesting backgrounds and character histories. The first one is from Fantasy Flight Games Star Wars oh, series of RPGs, yes yes um, called the oh. Edge of the, they had three books it was the Edge of the Empire um, Age of Rebellion Age of Rebellion and then Force and Destiny mm. and so in uh, they had these each 
each book had a different system of background generation, but my favorite one was from um, The Edge of the Empire, and that was Obligation. And what that means is, uh, in that game, you're all playing as criminal scum, essentially. So think of Han Solo and Greedo and all of that side of Star Wars. Chewbacca. And because you're a criminal, you owe somebody something. And they had a lot of different categories. Let me put- yeah, like, Obligation wasn't just, like, a debt. It could be, you know, like, I... I you owe you have a family yeah yeah like your family you was just, given you just have something. to take care of and put food on the table yeah or yeah yeah your family just needs to survive like the obligation is such a big varied um noun that it works so well as a backstory because you have to think about what things other than your character's literal physical body has invested in the world so I have the list of all of the obligations from the game in front of me. I'm just going to read through them very quickly. Um, addiction, betrayal, blackmail, bounty, criminal, debt, duty bound, family, favor, oath, obsession, and responsibility. Each of these um, has a number associated with it, sort of a magnitude of it. So let's say you have a blackmail obligation. That means somebody has dirt on you. Yeah. And they're constantly contacting you and making you do things that you really don't want to do. Um, and just right there, like the the narrative possibilities explode mm-hmm. from one character's background. Absolutely, place. it's fantastic, and you can it's definitely amazing. do this in D and D, assuming you want to have kind of a criminal feel. Once again, going back to city crawling, I'm seeing into my future, and it's going to be in water. <laughs> the water's nice. Let's dive in. <laughs> the water's deep. Yeah, I think this thing uh, connects you into the world really well. Um, so like obligation as all those like the table you read, but then duty from the next game really plugs you into a military organization and you kind of have the debate mm-hmm. of like, at what point would I disobey orders? And it's yeah, really, yeah. really profound to think of like your character's backstory and like all they've been through, you know, militarily. Um, and to be like, okay, at what point would I look at my superior and go, I can't do that, you know, and that is really compelling. And then for the last book, it's morality, which kind of looks uh, kind of similar to D&D alignment of like, um, yeah. if you're a force sensitive Jedi or Sith, like at what point would you sacrifice your moral compass to gain more powers or to, to change the way you play? And so plugging that into this kind of fits to me, you know, Sith and Jedi, it fits more into the warlock of like, if you're a warlock, yeah, and a paladin's oath, absolutely, of like, what would you sacrifice to get more power? And it's really compelling to see the trade-offs and to see like, yeah, I love making, I really honestly, like for my homebrew stuff that I changed to 5e, I love making the warlock really overpowered because it's like, yeah, dude, this guy sold his soul. Like he's going to be a little more powerful than you fighter. <laughs> yeah. And and that's really compelling. Like I think your backstory can inform like how powerful you are at the start because of what you have sacrificed. Oh, yeah. So good. The first RPG system that I officially played was called Savage Worlds. It's a generic kind of game. And for their system, when you're buying a character, you choose, um, they call them edges and hindrances. And uh, really, it's just perks and drawbacks. Um, so one edge could be like you are very accurate with hand, uh, handguns or rifles or something. It sounds very Fallout when I say it this way. <laughs> and then a hindrance is something like maybe you have um, 
you're crippled and you walk slower or you have one eye. Um, simple stuff like that. And you, you, the more hindrances you buy, the more points you have during character creation. Um, I thought it was just very simple at the time. I thought, oh, this is great. But um, now with the, just how far RPGs have come in the past 10 years, um, it seems a little, um, a little simple. But, you know, it, it really excited me back in it's the day. It's the job done. Mm -hmm. See, I, I look at that and absolutely, I think you can, you can definitely apply that to character creation. Um, I'm very, 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 very open as a DM when people are making characters like, oh, if I lose an eye, can I get an extra spell slot? Or, like, you know, basic stuff wow. like that. That's pretty and cool. If I can't speak, can I get two spells? <laughs> <laughs> and so my players will definitely, like, like in my last campaign... I had a dragonborn, like, huge fighter. And he's like, I really want to wield two two-handed weapons. And I was like, whoa. Like, that's incredible. And I was like, okay. I mean, honestly, we'll take some stuff away. And I want to cut your movement speed in half. So, like, you'll Jeez. have 15 movement speed. And he's like, deal. And so it was really interesting to have this humongous dragonborn with these two two-handed swords that he could swing and do so much damage but like when his characters are like help we need help over here like it would take so long for him to get to him <laughs> he's just dragging these massive <laughs> but weapons when he arrived <laughs> he hit like a freight train and so it was in the end like a good balance and so i think especially during character creation I think you can mess with your backgrounds to be like, okay, I, I, I need to justify this DM. What do I need to sacrifice? And the dungeon master can like, you know, do some mental math, especially if they know the system well enough, they can do some mental math and be like, okay, I'll let you do this. If you take away this, um, cause it makes yeah. sense with the character. And yeah, I think this, this whole edges and hindrances from Savage Worlds fits so well into that because yeah, I, I think I should let my characters take all sorts of hindrances to get all sorts of edges. And it, it, it's so interesting to see characters like that that have like, oh, I'm missing an arm and a leg, but I can do two more spell slots and I can see in the dark. Like, it's just so silly and I love it. <laughs> see in the dark. They'll just min-max themselves until they're just literally R2-D2. And they, they can't see or talk or touch. <laughs> That's great. Oh, oh! So the last one I want to talk about is uh, from a game called Fiasco. Oh, so oh good. this uh, one's we, great. We've all played this one. Um, so Fiasco is um, a GMless RPG experience where um, people, your group, will just sit down and write. Um, the closest I can describe it is like a Coen Brothers yeah. style film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably more, uh, more of the funnier side of those things, though not necessarily. Um, but it's just a really great collaboration writing tool mm -hmm. um, that within two hours you will have created a story that seems like a film. And yeah. it's great. Yeah, I think the main thing about this I is when you're creating backgrounds and you're doing a session zero and you're looking around at all your players, you want them to connect. You want them to have some yeah. sort of connection to each other, right? Like you could have them all have beautiful connections into the world. But then when they're at a tavern, they have very little reason to be together as an adventuring party. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they even talk to each yeah, other. Like, yeah. It's like, oh, I'm a, I'm an Orthodox priest and you're just a, tr a contract killer. Let's yeah. be friends. Let's, let's hang out and fight enemies yeah, together. Yeah, and, like, no. high five. It, it's very hard to you, – you can do it, obviously, but like to make it 
logically makes sense. Um, I think the fiasco relationships are so good. And I've instituted this into my game is I will look to my my players. I'll be like, okay, pick the player. I guess because I've been with, with, with players who have uh, sat at my same table over and over for the past two or three years. So they have their kind of preferred positions at the table. And so they're making their characters. And I'll be like, look to the player to your left. Look to the player to your right. You have a relationship with the player to your left and to the player to your right. What is that relationship? And it makes mm-hmm. it that all of the players suddenly have this connection. And, and the relationship doesn't have to be like, oh, your brother and sister. You know, it could be like, oh, I was a hitman and you were my uh, target that I missed. <laughs> or, you know, like oh. you were my or, uh, priest. This guy is my sister's ex-husband. <laughs> Oh, it's like, well, yeah, like, uh, okay. Or we were neighbors. Yeah. Like, yeah, we were neighbors or you were my priest and I'm your parishioner or like all these different things in the same war. Yeah. 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 Combat veterans. And they're just like simple little things that all of a sudden you have a reason to be around this person or even better if you already had a reason to be around them now it's complicated yes yeah and it's interesting and and the bottom line is you don't have to have it with everyone that's why i like how it's like it's just the person to your left and the person to your right because Mm -hmm. at that point you have relationships with two people in the party which is enough to link you into the party um because i mean that's really all you need it's like oh no i know him because he knows this person and they know this person because they know this person and it, it connects the whole party and links them rather than like oh, we all serve in the same troop or we're all this. It's so great because all of these ridiculous backgrounds that should not even be in the same room together suddenly make sense to each have an individual connection to someone around the table. Like like a hermit, a priest, and a a pirate walk into a bar. Yeah, it's like, what? (laughs) Like, like, (laughs) That's a that's a yeah. joke. That's not a that's not an adventuring part. Turns out they're all in love with the same woman. <laughs> oh. <laughs> she works at the tavern. Yeah, no, like I think this is so good to link the party together because a lot of DMs they'll they'll get all of this fair especially first time DMs, they'll get all of these very, very interesting character backstories and they'll be like, Oh no. H- how do these fit together at all? And it's very yeah. daunting to look at session one. And to be like, uh, you all meet in a tavern and there's a big rat downstairs. And it's like, what? <laughs> why would a soldier and a cleric and a pirate and a hermit join together to fight that rat? You know? <laughs> like, <laughs> so, yeah, Fiasco is definitely worth the worth using. I haven't used it in my D&D usually because there's just so many things going on. Um, but I would love to. Would it's love to. Yeah, I think it's great. So. For you guys, what do you think are some of the backgrounds that you hear and you're like, oh, no. Like, what are, what are just the worst oh, backgrounds? Oh. Oh, well, I mentioned already the Shadow Orphan. <laughs> yeah. And that is just uh, you pick the urchin and you pick, um, like, the, the thief. And all of a sudden you got a guy with no connection. He just wants to kill things. Yeah, they have no parents. Yeah, no, no, no mentor. No connection yeah. at all. And I hate that. And I've seen that done so many times. Usually it's by people who are... Um, Chaotic neutral. <laughs> <laughs> yes uh they're sort of video gamers yeah they're really playing a solo D game yeah and they're just forced to be around other people. <laughs> yeah oftentimes they go off and do their own thing yeah and or they just won't help the party when they're in need um yeah. like, I, I really just don't play with this 
this player. <laughs> I, I think the way to solve this is the specifics on uh, from Xanathar's Guide. I think it's page 66. Like, they have a bunch of, like, family connections and ridiculous, like, wonderful, like, connections to make your character real. And just rolling on those random tables, you'll see, like, what the? This makes my character so much more compelling just by these random tables of, like, oh, I have a twin brother who went here and my mom uh, died when I was a child and my dad is a lawful good uh, bartender. And it's, like, all these things are just, like, so great, you know? Yeah. Uh, So, actually, on 66, it looks like this is the tables, uh, the class background tables. And so for the urchin, it has, I became an urchin because, and they have six different <gasps> things, and they're all pretty darn good. Like one of them, um, a notorious thief looked after me and other orphans, and we spied and stole to earn our key. <gasps> like already, that's a much more interesting yeah. connector. Yeah. yeah. There's hooks that's all over that thing, thing mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> <laughs> it yeah. just bobbed up in hooks. <laughs> just big... I mean, that's what DMs want. They want their players to just have so many hooks yeah. around them that if you even put your fingers near them, they're already connected. They're just, you're stuck with yeah. a bunch of hooks from their backs. covered in blood, <laughs> filled with barbs. That's what you want. Sounds like a Friday night to me. <laughs> oh, no. Playing D&D, of course. Come on. What are some other uh, terrible backgrounds? The uh, the hermit. Oh, well, I, I mean, like, <laughs> like combinations of things. Oh, um. Um, I, so we have all oh, the, per, the perfect guy. Oh, I know it's, uh, the, the guy who's just good at everything and has zero flaws. Mm-hmm. It's like, I I'm Superman. I do everything. Well, I never do. I'm the good boy. Okay. Uh, yeah. I, I have a story about that. So we were playing, um, my first game of five E and I was like really making my world and making everything like, you know, solidifying all of these things that have held on for the past you know, a few years. And my friend, mm-hmm. uh, he's, he's playing a ranger and, uh, he, he is essentially Legolas and I'm like, okay, cool. You know, your ranger, whatever. And he wrote trait bond ideal. And he didn't write a flaw. And I said, <laughs> okay, like, that's fine. Your character is kind of, you know, a Legolas type character, you know, an elf ranger. I'm like, whatever. Just make sure you write a flaw next time. Just think about your flaw, what your character's bad at. or what. And he's like, okay, next session, still no flaw, would not write a flaw. And I was like, okay, try to just, you know, just try to make a flaw. He's like, okay, still, next session did not make a flaw. And so we went through the entire campaign and this guy never, ever wrote down a flaw for his character. And Perfect and guy. and really, yeah, it like guy. it made sense because all of the other characters, they didn't need him to write anything down. His flaw was that he thought he had no flaw, and so all oh, oh, no. and so all the other characters knew. Like you know, they look at their his character sheet and there's no flaw written down, but <laughs> but they knew. <laughs> Wait, is this a perfect guy or is this a Reddit <laughs> nice guy? Oh no! Yeah, like they never yeah. have flaws either. Like like oh. it was yeah a flawless character and so it was really interesting to see that and i think it's very easy to like you know when you're trying to do wish fulfillment or you're trying to do fantasy fulfillment and making a character it's it's sometimes it is hard to be like oh no my character has flaws but like 
giving your character <laughs> flaws makes the character so much more profoundly interesting than it does be like my character is yeah. a perfect fighter with no flaws it's like okay i'm falling asleep um, you know i'm <laughs> gagging as we speak isn't uh, john wick kind of like perfect guy oh no he's yeah. just he just kills people like effortlessly i get i mean i guess you could say he cares too much about his dog but uh <laughs> <laughs> that's his flaw well, yeah, I think I think the bottom line is like th- those flaws, especially with each background, they're very profoundly interesting. They're not like harmful yeah. to your character. They're like really creative and good. And so it's like, why oh, yeah. would you it's, avoid that? It's opening up doors to like further stories. Oh, yeah. It's not like saying, oh, well, um, I have a, a drug addiction and I, I can only adventure one night a week because <laughs> I need my drugs. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not like some debilitating thing. It's no. like, oh, no. Um, um, yeah, it's like it's like when you see a chaotic evil person, you have to confront them, and it's like all those yeah. things are like really good, and they aren't gonna harm your adventure, mm-hmm. you know. Like, I think for me personally, if I were to only use a, a trait, bond, flaw, ideal, I think that's the four of them. If I could only pick one of them, I would pick the flaw every time because the flaw is the most profoundly interesting for your backstory. Every time. Wow. Mm. Oh, I have one. Uh, this one is called uh, How Is This Guy Level Ugh. 1? Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> because it's yeah. a, a character, or a, a player makes a character, he comes to the table, he's like, oh, yeah, <clears throat> for the past 50 years I was in the military, and then I was with other adventuring parties, and they all died, and I'm the only survivor, and then I like I was a I had a wizard's tower for a long time, whatever. They have this huge I slayed long... like five dragons. Yeah. And, and, and the I'm, Lich King. And I'm a level one fighter. <laughs> I'm like, well... What? How? They're the person who shows up to your game and they've already written a book on their character. So They're going to be mad when they die in the first session. See, I think this is why I make my character usually, not with like first time players, but with players that have played a lot and they kind of know and I'm like, I want to restart a campaign, whatever. They know 5e. I usually start them at level three. Because then it gives mm. them a little more room to justify a backstory of potentially slaying a werewolf or whatever, you know, because it they're level three and they have a subclass and they have all this stuff and it's like, okay. But yeah, when you're starting at level one, it's like pretty much any backstory where you are strong or you know, cool or heroic at all really doesn't make sense for a level one character. Yeah. I've said this before and I'll say it again um don't make the most interesting thing that happened to your character happen in the past oh yeah, yeah that's so Be- good because you can you can only go downhill from there oh the no case. yeah like you want it you want the interesting stuff to be happening right now. Unless maybe that is what your character is meant to be, just a downhill <laughs> spiraling character. Well, if it was an intentional setup <laughs> yes. and they, they were aware a nihilistic, of that, um, cynical character. And then everything is just sort of like disappointing oh for them. My God. Oh no. It sounds like a bad campaign. They used to be a noble. <laughs> oh. Ooh. I think played right, it could be really interesting. And then their yeah. arc would be to kind of find Get the, joy, the redeeming redemption. Yeah. Yeah. That's so But fun. yeah, in general, you have to kind of I think a good way to do it is you look at especially new new players and be like, okay, this is the perspective of levels. And to be like, okay, Aragorn from Lord of the Rings is like a level seven or eight. You know, and Gandalf is like a level eighteen. 
and like to look at like characters from famous things and be like, okay, these characters are this level, these characters are this level. So they know what level they're starting at because it's very easy to be yeah. like, oh, I'm playing D&D. I want to be this heroic, this and that, who has slayed this and this. And it's like, no, 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 you're starting. Like, like you you haven't done those things yet. You haven't yet. slayed anyone <laughs> yeah. yet. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think it's good to, like, be able to give them the perspective of, like, okay, you know this, this major comic book character? Yeah, that guy would be, like, a level 16. So just cool your jets and, you know, you're level yeah. one. You're... You're a bean farmer. Get over yourself. <laughs> bean farmer. How do you farm? Great beans? background, by the way. Just bean farmer. I think, I think you actually ranch beans. <laughs> <laughs> Little lassoing beans. <laughs> that's that should be the name of our next D and D party. Is just the lassoing beans. <laughs> so this has got me thinking. What really makes good backgrounds? What separates good from bad backgrounds? Here, guys. I think it's it's really the collaboration with you and the dungeon master and to be like, okay, mm-hmm. yeah. I like this is what my arc could be. You know, like I could have a really good redemption arc or, you know, I've I I don't know where my father is. You know, obviously the yeah. DM is like, yeah, your father's going to show up in the last episode. You know, like like all of, of these things are just base that you give the dungeon master. Like like we said, hooks that hook in mm-hmm. the dungeon master and you can use them for other things. And so really, I think the best backgrounds are the ones that provide the most hooks for not even necessarily the dungeon master, but for the whole party to be able to comment yeah. on. You know, because if you have some, some so, cool backgrounds and the dungeon master is like, oh, that's definitely going to play a part in the finale. But to have like another character, like another like player to, to comment on that, be like, oh, so you lost your father? So did I. And it's like, oh. And my mother. Yeah. And my sister. <laughs> oh, my oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> it's it's Shadow, Shadow Orphan. Orphan's back. <laughs> He's coming out again. <laughs> but like. No, but I think he. he I think you have a great point. And I think that for me, backgrounds should do two things. It should tie you into mm-hmm. the world, mm-hmm. meaning that you are there. There's going to be plot elements that are tied to your character and there you're going to be tied to the other characters at the table. Yeah. And then the other aspect of a background is that it should inform how you play the game. Huh. Because keep in mind, you're not yourself when you're at your table. You're not just like, Oh, I show up and, now I'm this rogue in this imaginary world. It's a different character that you're playing and they're different from who you are as a yeah. person. So you need to have ways to determine how would this person actually act? <sighs> and that's and that's what the background can do through the ideals, the bonds and flaws that you create. They're going to determine the way in which your character is going to interact with the other characters at the table or with the elements of yeah, the world. Yeah, that's Dang, that's really profound, Yeah, that, that that's a profound you know, difference of being like, okay, no, no, no. Th- think about, okay, how would you, how would you react in the situation? You go, oh, I'd ignore it or I'd do whatever. But like, if you look at the situation, you go, how would you react to this? If you were born on the streets, had no money your whole life and ate, you know, leather for dinner, you know, like, like you're like, oh my yeah. God, like I would address mm-hmm. this so differently. And it's like having the empathy mm-hmm. of your backstory and being able to be like, no, no, no. My character, as much as I want to agree to this, I can't because I come from a position where that doesn't make sense for someone who's lived this way his whole life. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
when I um, ran my last campaign, I stopped about halfway through and I had an entire session, or at least the, the first half of an entire session, where I just asked the players what they like, what they dislike, and where they want their players, or, or where they want their characters to huh. go. And um, it, so part of it was just me getting feedback in general, just for um, gameplay, like quality, but the rest of it was just where they want their story um, to head because I don't what the worst thing that I could do as a GM is like not enable players to get what they want from the story and um, so I think doing a checkup like that was really helpful because um, it, it made the finale a lot better uh, unfortunately we uh, even though I planned a finale and we played a finale campaign everybody refused to let that be the last one they wanted to do one more that we never actually got to do um, so it just Classic kind of left real life. hanging because then because then college happened, so it's like <laughs> we got up to the very last chapter of the book, and the book was like destroyed, and we'll never know. Oh. Even though I know, I know what happened. Oh, that's oh, good. No. Oh. So, yeah. I guess in general, what do you guys think about random tables? Because I know Xanathar's Guide introduced a ton of random tables, and there already are a lot in the background section yeah. of the player's handbook, and. Uh, what do you guys think? Do you use them? Do you roll with them? Do you just say, hey, pick whatever you want from them? Like, How do you guys use them? So the technique that I have used for my uh, character background generation is I let the players, uh, first they pick what they want to have, Hermit, let's say, and then they I let them roll on the tables first. <clears throat> and if they don't like what they rolled, they can pick anything from that table. Huh. But almost every time, in fact, I think probably every time, the players just go with the one that they rolled because what? it sparks their that imagination. Is so, that is, yeah. I, I almost and can't I, believe I that. I didn't know that this was not officially the role. Like I thought that was just how it was done. Um, but then recently, some people I told they they were shocked to discover I do it this way. But it it works very well because you're sort it's, of discovering. I'm shocked the too. Yeah, I think that random tables show you possibilities that you wouldn't normally think of, mm -hmm. which is awesome. So I love them. I don't necessarily like having it to where, oh, you roll this, is you're stuck with this. But I love the inspiration aspect of, oh, yeah, I'm, I really want to pick that because that's a really cool idea to have mm -hmm. an urchin who is a paladin. <laughs> like, that doesn't make any oh. sense, but let's roll with it and see that's what happens. That's so weird because, yeah. yeah, I'm the opposite. I go, hey, guys, backstory, obviously, for my pretty social game, like, this is important. And I go, pick whatever you want. If you're undecided, roll. And like, I yeah, see. and it's it's kind of the opposite of that, of like, you guys go roll and then think of what that could be. And then if you don't like it, pick something else. But like the whole randomness of it is like profoundly interesting because for me, the more I'm thinking about the philosophy of Dungeons and Dragons, just role playing games in general, I think like, do I even need a dice? Like, are we <laughs> capable of having a creative enough table to just like make the best story possible? But then the dice always does things where I'm like, I couldn't even have thought of that. Like nothing could have failed yeah. that much or nothing could have succeeded that much or nothing could have been that random for me have, to ever have thought about in any way. So I think for backgrounds, it's the same thing. Yeah. That's a good insight about dice because I think that an element of randomness is just helpful. Um, just a little chaos makes the world oh, more yeah. interesting. Um, because like if you were just sitting down writing a story, there's certain things that you would do and not do um, every time. I mean, statistically speaking, a dragon is going to kill a normal person every <laughs> single time. Yeah, but the, but the one time yeah. out of a hundred that the that the human wins, that's just 
hilarious yeah. and awesome. Yeah, it makes you feel really yeah, good. Yeah, I, I think for my one of the campaign I'm doing right now, um, I had this this cool plot with a dragon egg, um, where they were supposed to basically give it back to its master or like you know sell it or whatever. Um, but they weren't supposed to know it was a dragon egg. It was just like this big emerald kind of thing. And one of my characters rolled a nat 20 and was like, oh, that's a dragon egg. Wait, what did he roll a nat 20 uh, per- Perception of what this thing was. So you can't actually crit skill checks Well, in the rules as written. Weird. That's how I play. <laughs> I'm not saying you're wrong, but just so everyone knows. Wow. You're, you can only crit. Dude, that's how I play. Attacks. Oh my god, <laughs> that is. Come on, you. Dude. Otherwise, you have a five percent chance of just being able to do anything. Yes. Yeah. Like, oh, I can't read hieroglyphics, but I'll roll. Oh, I got a twenty. I guess I can read ancient uh, Hebrew no, now. No, you have to have a DM that's willing to be like, okay, that makes sense. It's like, oh, I want. You know, like if someone goes, I want to convince the whole town to jump off a cliff. Five percent <laughs> chance. There they go. They all jump off a cliff. <laughs> no, like I think. There could be a balance, obviously, you know, like if, if you have a DM that like wants to <laughs> narratively, you know, if someone says, I want to jump to the moon, like a nat 20 is not going to let them jump to the moon. Oh, I don't know, Jake. Yeah. There's a quote that I love that says, what would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? I'm going to change it and say, what would you do if you had a 5% chance of succeeding literally anything? <laughs> I mean, that's... <laughs> I feel like I can't even address this based on what you guys have said because that's always how I've been playing, but I've, I've always had a good balance of, like, what logically can happen. Um, but, like... Right. Like, seriously speaking, obviously, um, there's limitations to what a player can't try. Like, I think there's a chance that a person could hold up an egg to the light and maybe, you know, it moves or, or squirms in a way and they're like, holy crap, like, yeah. this, I can conclude that that's a and dragon's You know, egg. maybe if you're just strong enough, you could jump to the moon. <laughs> no, absolutely not. <laughs> I've been squatting also, a lot lately. Also, the moon lately, is flat so and D&D is flat Earth. Um, but anyway. Wait, really? Uh, I don't know. I, I always assume that because <laughs> no. it's flat on, like, the world is flat uh, also in real life. No, I'm <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> oh, no. Don't invite this conversation to me. Um, so, we all know time is a cube. <laughs> so, bottom line, like... <laughs> I thought time is a flat circle. <laughs> no, it's a cube. Time, the time all right let's get back on um so anyway so my players like like they found out this is a dragon egg and it hatched and all this stuff and so now my players have a baby red dragon that they're trying to raise Yikes. as their own and seeing that all of that happened because of someone's nat 20 like that that dragon hmm. egg oh, was yeah. just a That's plot awesome. point you know, it was just a yeah. a way to move the story forward. But no, like this half orc paladin has changed his entire entire way of life to be this dragon's dad, and has like mm. he's he's altered all of his points into intelligence and all of his points into nature into uh, animal handling just to care for what he calls his son, which is a lawful <laughs> evil or whatever red dragon. <laughs> so it's classic. It, is it, it does is the dragon's name just son like S U N? His name is Igneal. Um Ooh, and weird. he's it's been it's been so great. And and I I look at my campaign and we we're probably. 30 sessions deep and to look Jeez. back at session one where this happened i can't even imagine this the, all of these 30 sessions without this baby dragon with them and all of that mm-hmm. came from a nat 20 and and so i love the idea of randomness and like i guess this fits into backgrounds of being like 
whenever you look at your backgrounds, you'd be like, ooh, I like this one or this one. Just roll. And whatever you get, yeah. just think about what you get. Because it may be something so profound that you didn't even think about putting it together beforehand. That's yeah. true. It's like an improv when they get suggestions from oh, the yeah, audience. Yeah. And it, it pushes your brain in, in new directions that you just yeah. weren't even near. It's like, oh, you're a literal part. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, okay, I, we're getting a little off track. But bottom line is I, I you know, have been in several improv troops and done several improvisational shows and i've done shows where i go this needs to be perfect and i try to plan out everything and like i go okay we have this plant in the audience that will say this and we have everything planned out and all of those shows end up worse than the shows where you actually look at the audience and be like give me a suggestion for this and they go lobster and the show is better <laughs> like the randomness makes it better so i think even in backgrounds uh -huh. like looking at those tables and it looks so daunting and there's so many options just roll and and see what happens you'll be surprised what your brain does when you go ooh a a, a pirate paladin i can work with this yeah. you know <laughs> I yeah. could, I could, I could, I could get get diggy with that. <laughs> okay, it's almost. I don't, I don't even know if you call it randomness as as much as um, curated inspiration. Mm, huh, because if yeah. you have the ability to choose something else if you don't like it, that gives you this freedom. I think we could talk about this for a lot yeah. longer, but we need to. Move yeah, on. this is just the idea of the philosophy of randomness. <laughs> In Xanthar's Guide, they have a really great system for generating an entire character's backstory specifically with yeah, family and yeah, life events yeah. and it speaking of things that push your brain into new directions um it'll it'll give you your um your parents and what your parents job is and um how many siblings you have and what your siblings jobs are um i actually wrote a blog that you can read at voxarcana.org where uh, you can read about the families that i generated and it's just really cool if you've got the time and the interest um, to develop your, your characters. Because personally, I've never played in a campaign where any of the characters have created families. Like, you have all these connections, right? Like, thief connections or um, guild. But you, you nobody asks, oh, who's my dad? What's my mom doing today? Who's your daddy? <laughs> Who is your no, daddy? I, it's surprising how much flavor is in the whole family's stuff like because mm -hmm. a lot of times you think of an adventurer they don't have a mom or dad or kids or i mean the the biggest glaring thing that stands out is if you look at most people in the modern world i'd say a majority of people are married but if you look at D, &D yeah. characters how many dungeons and dragons characters are married it's like none it's oh, almost zero none. it's it's yeah. profound the lack of family and just like normal attributes of a normal person that there are in character sometimes and i think even saying mm, like mm. you know just like a character being like oh i've got a wife back home and i miss her so much you know it's like that even that is like so different than so many characters that lack family i wonder why that is is this because um when people are designing their perfect like fun little toy life they focus on themselves and not on their family. Their family. I, I okay. My theory is that it stems from kind of first edition and the more antagonistic dungeon master perspective of like, oh, if you have a wife, 
then obviously the Lich King is going to come out at the end during the boss fight and is going to have a knife to the throat of your wife. You know, and it's just like you're giving the Dungeon Master too many hooks to screw you over in the end. Yeah. It, it, yeah. Like, family is... And I'm guilty of this. Like, in Tomb of Annihilation, one of my characters who's a, a samurai, uh, he has he's, he's a rare character that has a strong bond with his full family. Oh. <laughs> and, and, and me, <laughs> I was like, okay, I, I had, like, the main corporate villain just be just just take them hostage and it was just Aww. like if you ever want to see your family again you will do what i ask and it, and just oh, like so yeah, it was so and and then like i realized it was like oh this is freaking really good and like it was a really cool thing but then i realized oh my god anytime my players gave me a family to to use i, I immediately took them hostage and <laughs> and so it's like Oh, wow. maybe that's why people avoid that is because they don't want to give dungeon masters more, <sighs> yeah, leverage. leverage exactly manipulative powers over their character. Maybe Jake was the villain the <laughs> whole time. I I have your family, Jake. <gasps> I figured that out a long time ago. <laughs> um, one last thing that I I read about on a blog, and I kind of appropriated the idea. Um. This guy had the idea for if you meet a NPC, especially if it's like a hireling or somebody that comes back uh, time and time again. Um, whenever you meet an NPC, you have three tables that are kind of nested within each other. And the details get more specific the more you meet them, the more you interact with them. And so um, the first time you meet it, run into them, you're like, oh, well, they have like a lazy eye. Something very simple <laughs> you just notice across the room. And then as you get to know them, you're like, oh, well, they have like deep family issues because it's constantly affecting their life. And then, you, you know, as you get to know them more, you roll on that third table and it's something really personal, like maybe this this person is actually planning, um, you know, to leave town and, and whatever. Um, the, the idea is just that you have very minimal investment in designing the backgrounds for NPCs um, and you just drill down over time as it becomes Oh, necessary. that's so... So there's like tiers of what they will reveal? And yes. So yes. like, you know, they'll be like, oh, I hate the government. And then the next one will be like, I'm, you know, planning on ditching town. And the last one will be like, I'm planning on bombing Congress. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yes, you met Guy Fox in D and D. Oh my god! No, I love that because I guess for me, I have yeah. so many situations where my characters are just around a campfire, and I will just say, have banter, talk, reveal sh- stuff, and I, I want them to interact with each other, with each other, and have profound. instances of um communication where they kind of reveal stuff to each other naturally and having an npc there that reveals their backstory slowly makes so much sense because i think when you're making your backstory with just your players in general i think there's a degree of it that should be hidden from the other players to be revealed later and I, I yeah. don't think you should be able to look at a character sheet of a player and be like, oh, I know exactly everything about you. Like, there should be stuff that, like, it mm-hmm. makes sense with the character sheet, but they, it gets a lot deeper than what you could ever read yeah. in just, you know, perusing their character sheet. Yeah. I think it's what makes it interesting. Well, I think it's time that we move into the vault. Uh, this week's vault question what is your ideal level range, a.k.a. the Goldilocks zone? Oh, to, to, wait, to play in or to... 
to be the dungeon master for? Ooh. Uh, let's answer both if they're different. Oh, man. <sighs> I think that like playing as the higher levels is a lot of fun because you have a lot more tools and things that you could do, and you just have a lot more... It's like a god in the world. Like yeah. you can do pretty much anything. Oh yeah, especially at the so very high level. It's kind of fun. <clears throat> yeah, it's kind of fun to be able to cast like crazy spells like wish and things like that. Wow. I So your perfect level is I, I am I am <laughs> no, perhaps I, the exact opposite. So I no, well, I I still have what I want to say for DMing for, but I it's I like to feel powerful. Like I like to feel the progression of a character and like going through and like realizing like oh i used to be super weak and now i'm like this big buff like brawler dude no one can touch me like that feels good hmm. as a player huh but as a dm i really like dming for low level parties like level one level zero <laughs> like the i love just the the weak scrawny like oh scraps my God. that that players have to get into <laughs> so <laughs> That that's that's what I, I have think. never disagreed with someone more on this podcast. I think I am the exact total opposite of you, David. Like when I am a player, or no, okay. So when I am a dungeon master, I want to play for characters that have decent abilities. So I'd say my Goldilocks level is like level four to like level eight. Is like my perfect Goldilocks level for like me as a dungeon master. Because getting higher than that, you have to start throwing out like weirdly difficult monsters, and combat starts taking way longer. Um, yeah. But like, if I'm a player, <laughs> I want to be level zero. You know, like I want to be yeah. nothing. I want to have to walk up to a bartender <laughs> and be like, "Hello, that's sir. Can I have some beer?" And that guy could punch me and kill me. Like, like that, like that is so, it makes the whole world threatening and it makes it like yes. really interesting to interact with all these people that if they mm-hmm. really want to kick you as hard as they can, they could probably knock you out. <laughs> like, like, I, I don't know. I love that whole aspect of like relying, like not having a physical backup to rely on. Cause most of the time social encounters in Dungeons and Dragons you approach this thing, you go, all right, the bard will look at everyone and be like, oh, I can take care of this. And they go up and they do some social encounter. And if worse comes to worst, you know, everyone draws their sword and it's a combat encounter. But with, mm. with at level zero or level one, whatever, like <laughs> you don't have that combat encounter to rely on. Like you are solely relying <laughs> on the social <laughs> Yeah, yeah. and it, it gives this whole new aspect of of the game that you're not expecting and that's why i love um dungeon crawl classics because you have three different very 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 weak characters <laughs> and like you look at them and it's like okay yeah. one guy that i have is a corn farmer another guy like it's just a normal guy but he owns one cow and another yes. another guy's a baker and it's like okay let's enter a dungeon that way <laughs> <laughs> let's go fight the lich king with a yeah and so like pin. level zero eventually there's going to be a meat grinder and you're going to see a guy running out with a chef's hat riding a cow that's covered in blood and it's just like i'm now level one <laughs> it's just so silly to see that and I, I love i don't know i love very low level encounters because they they 
I don't know, they feel more risky. Because, you know, at level 20, nothing can challenge you other than, like, a, a god. Yeah. That's a problem that I have with D&D 5 in general. It's just because I really think that um, the exponential power curve of uh, players going from, um, f- like, above average people into just literally yeah. demigods. Like, or, or, and or <laughs> gods, if you're a wizard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just cast wish, and, like, the world is unmade. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And and he can cast that you know once a day, <laughs> every day world. for the rest Let's of his make life. A new one. <laughs> he becomes like Doctor Manhattan. Oh in, my um, god! He's just Thanos. Like, so yeah, he's Thanos, profound. right? Like, yeah. Just like oh, no spoilers. No spoilers. Yeah, he wants to kill half of the world, and then the next day he'll just kill the other half. Oh Why not? God. I'm a level twenty wizard. Damn it. <laughs> um, Okay, so my I, I'm kind of in the middle of you guys, um, but before I say mine, I have an idea of uh, figuring out a way to do a 5e funnel where you start with three level zeros without classes, yes. um, and you just pick the broad category of background. Oh, so yes. my guy is just an urchin with no specific like traits, bonds, and flaws, okay, um, or whatever, and then you run them through this adventure that's made to kill everyone, yeah. and then whoever comes out the other side levels up into level one, and then you further define them. Yeah. I wonder if that would be fun. I'd have to play with it a little because I think D&D's stats just take so long to make one character. Um, oh, yeah, I'm just cool. imagining that's that, what, though, like getting to level 20. <laughs> And being like, oh, my pirate got to level 20 and is now essentially a god. <laughs> and it's like, what if this pirate was killed at level zero? And it like, it profoundly, like, you're like, oh my god. Yeah. Like, this character, oh, yeah, it only exists because, you know, the baker died in the first dungeon from a basilisk, <laughs> you know? Oh, oh no! Basilisk would probably be just a regular rat. <laughs> yeah, just it's just, a, just, just a big gross him. rat. Just, <laughs> it's not not a giant rat. No, I'm saying a normal rat, <laughs> half in a rat trap. <laughs> okay, well, my ideal Goldilocks level range is um, the same ish for both, and that's gonna be level three um, to play into GM okay. four because at level one you're just too squishy. Um, but also you don't have a lot of choices and in, in, in decisions to make in combat other than like I swing my sword or I cast my cantrip. Um, and then a level 20 in both cases is just so many things to track yeah. and do. And like everybody, like the monk has got all these key points he's spending and the sorcerer's got like whatever. Like there's just too much going on for me. Um, so I, I think at level three is when you get your uh, ability. Subclass, like your class yeah. Feature. Yeah, your subclass. And so to me, that's when the game opens up um, combat wise so they have enough health to survive they have enough decisions to make to not be bored every combat um, and they and the variety is, is yeah. good and the variety of monsters is good um, and then as far as jamming for that you you know their limitations um, and you know what it takes to kill them and you have obviously more monster choice so just level three maybe level up to level five um, is that sweet spot of just that low tier hmm. yeah i think that's a good range Thank you for listening to Vox Arcana Episode 9. I'm William. I'm Jake. And I'm David. Follow us on our social media. Twitter is at Vox Arcana Pod. Facebook is at Vox Arcana Podcast. Instagram is also at Vox Arcana Podcast. You can email us questions, comments, and concerns at voxarcanapodcast at gmail.com. If you sign up now at farmersonly.com, you may match with us. We'll see you next time.